Okay, so if you open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 17, we're going to move into chapter 17 of Matthew. It's a portion of scripture that we're all familiar with, or a lot of us are, as we're going to see Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. As we move into chapter 17, I want to remind you that traveling through chapter 16, we have seen Jesus in that area of the extreme northern end of Galilee at a place last week that was called Caesarea Philippi. And there at Caesarea Philippi, Panius, the ancient name, where they would worship the ancient uh, pagan god Pan and a lot of other Greek and Roman gods and idols and altars that were up there at that place. And Jesus, he says to his disciples with the backdrop of all those idols, who do men say that I am? And they were answering, well, some say you're, you're Jeremiah or Elijah or John the Baptist or one of the prophets. And then he got personal with them and he said, who do you say that I, the son of man, am? And there at that spot, at the base of Mount Hermon, Peter gave his confession. And he said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus would say that you are now Peter, and upon the rock of your confession, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I want to remind us, even though it seems like that things can be against us in the church, and we as Christians, listen, the gates of hell will not prevail against us. Amen. And that the Lord's going to come and he's going to establish his kingdom. And that we, the church, we, we continue to, to see the Lord build upon the confession that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. He's building his church. And you and I are living stones being fitted together. So, Father, as we head into chapter 17, we're reminded that, Lord, that you're on the throne. You're in control. That, Lord, you have a plan. And, Lord, we can rejoice in that. And I pray this morning that we would just double-check, make sure at this point that our ringers are turned off so we don't hear the rings and the dings and the distractions that can go on. We want to hear from you. And, Lord, that our hearts desire to have your word be placed into, Lord, our hearts, the seed of the word. Not only looking at the implication here, but also looking at the application for us today, you have something for us to consider. Lord, uh, you want to touch our hearts. You want to stir our hearts. And Lord, I pray that even as perhaps we might come in with all the uncertainty that overwhelms us and we become fearful, we become anxious, we become, Lord, just down and discouraged. Lord, we want to see you. We want to hear your voice. And Lord, be edified and encouraged and uplifted in every way. So we give you this time as we study your word. So Lord, we just pray that you would speak to us in a powerful way. In Jesus' name, amen. So also as we are finishing chapter 16, that we saw last week that Jesus went on to say to his disciples that he was going to go to Jerusalem. He's going to be handed over to the chief priests and elders and suffer and be killed. But on the third day, he will rise again. And Jesus never spoke about his crucifixion without also speaking about his resurrection. Now, that was the first time that he had told his disciples that was the purpose why he came, that that was he was going to do, his impending death uh, at Jerusalem. And, and they didn't understand that he was coming to die. And of course, you remember that at Christmas time, that as you read in Matthew chapter 1, that the angel came to Joseph and said, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, 
for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she's going to bring forth a son, and he shall call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. And you see, their concept of Messiah was that he's going to come and establish his kingdom. They, they saw him feeding the multitudes. He was healing the people of every kind of sickness and disease. He was freeing those of the demoniacs. The multitudes that we have read were great multitudes. And so they're picturing that Jesus he's, uh, has acknowledged that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, that he's going to establish his kingdom. That's what the prophets of old had spoken about, hundreds of verses in the Old Testament. And we know that he is going to establish his kingdom but they didn't understand the verses that spoke of the suffering Messiah. That first he was going to come and he was going to die for the sins of humanity, go to the cross of Calvary. And they didn't understand that clear up until the point of Jesus' death until after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, when we move into chapter 18, we're going to see that they're going to be asking about how to be great in the kingdom of God. They're going to be arguing about who's the greatest in the kingdom. Clear up until the point of Jesus last night with them. When they come into that upper room, we know the Gospels tell us that they're arguing who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And it's interesting that we're going to see that Jesus is going to tell them how to be great in the kingdom of God. But they're thinking he's going to usher in his kingdom. They didn't understand what it was that he was going to accomplish at Jerusalem. And so Jesus, as he talks about that, he then tells his disciples that if you desire to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And we have seen thus far in our study, traveling through Matthew, that Jesus' teachings are so much different than what the world teaches or what our culture emphasizes or, or teaches. What our culture says is a priority. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that you are to love your enemies. You're to do good to those who hate you. If you want to be great in the kingdom, you must be the least, the servant of all. And here he says, as we finish chapter 16, that if you want to find your life, you must lose it. That is, you deny self, you die to self. Now the world tells you and me what we're to do is focus on ourselves. That we're, we're exalt self. That we're all about self, aren't we? And Jesus says that the meek shall inherit the earth. And the way to become first is to be last. And the way of greatness is to humble yourself and that you receive a child of my name is what we're going to see as we continue through Matthew. And all around this, you know, culture says, and even the logic within us says, no, that isn't so. You cannot get ahead in this world and you cannot be successful unless you promote self, you assert self, that you focus on self. And Jesus says, no. What you and I are to do is we are to die to self. And as we do that, we will find life. And you and I will experience life the way it was meant to be. Because you see, Jesus said, I came to give you life. He's the author of eternal life, but also to give you abundant life as well. He desires for us to experience the peace and the joy and have real purpose and fulfillment and satisfaction as we live for him. And when we humble ourselves and realize our need for the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, and come to salvation, and as we surrender to him and as we follow after him, 
that we know that he will bless us and direct us and guide us. So the key to living is dying. That is dying to self. And if you live for self, the Bible says that you're going to lose out. And Jesus was telling his disciples this, and he tells us as well the same thing through his word. Not to make our lives miserable and uh, so we're down and, and discouraged and, and trying to be a killjoy. He does it to liberate us, to free us, to bless us, to have a real purpose in life. And as we take our eyes off ourselves, and as you live for Christ, you and I will discover the reality of what Jesus is saying. And you see, after Jesus begins to talk to the people about the cross and dying to self and following him, then we know that the gospel narratives tell us that the crowds begin to get smaller and smaller. People are saying that, what do you mean, pick up your cross and follow me? What do you mean, die to self? What do you mean, whoever desires to save his life will lose it? No way. That doesn't work for me. And you see, people say the same thing today. And we, as we continue journeying through Matthew, we see that the people begin to reject the words of Jesus. The crowds begin to get smaller. When the crowds begin to walk away, they had been excited about the works of Jesus. He fed the 5,000. He fed the 4,000. He healed all who were diseased and and those who were bondage to demons. Yeah, we want to, to see the works that you have been doing. But the words that you speak, John's gospel tells us that the people were saying to him, these are hard sayings, and they begin to walk away. Matter of fact, it's recorded. It says that they walked with him no more. And then Jesus turned to his disciples, and he said, do you want to go also? And Peter answered, and he said something so amazing. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter didn't say you have the works of eternal life. And although I know that Peter and the disciples were no doubt very excited about the and inspired and in awe of the works of Jesus Christ, seeing the miracles, but Peter and the disciples were converted and committed by the words of Jesus. And it was Paul the Apostle that would write to the church at Rome and he would say to them that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we want to continue looking at the words of Jesus this morning. As we do move into chapter 17 of Matthew, we read in verse 1, Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with them. So Jesus takes three of his disciples up on a high mountain, probably Mount Hermon. It's the highest point in Israel today at the most northern point of Israel. Matter of fact, it gets snow on the mountain. The mountain is close to 10,000 feet in elevation. Remember that it towers just, just north of where the Sea of Galilee is. The Sea of Galilee is at 700 feet below sea level. And they got a little ski area up there where they can ski about two months out of the year. And I've been there when there's been snow on the mountain. And that's the headwaters, of course, of the Jordan River as the snow melts and and comes through the rocks there at Caesarea Philippi, there at the base. Very beautiful spot. And so Mount Hermon really towers, and and you can see it. And it's, it's an incredible mountain. And as we read, Jesus, after six days, after the confession of Peter, there at the base of the mountain, moved their way up to 
Mount Hermon probably were the, is called the Mount of Transfiguration. And Jesus began to shine. And it tells us that he's transfigured before them. Now the word used here for transfigured in the original language is where we get our word metamorphosis. If you remember from your you know, middle school science class lesson. It means to change. It, it describes what happens to a caterpillar inside a cocoon. So Jesus transfigured to where he was shining like the sun, which means that he would be so bright in appearance that he was even difficult to look like, to look at. The, the light shone from within him. It wasn't like the sky opened up and this big beam of light came down upon him but rather his glory from within him, his glory being manifested as he shone like the sun, transfigured, transformed. We also see that the text tells us that along with Jesus was Elijah and Moses as they were talking. What was it that they were discussing? Well, Luke's gospel tells us that they were talking about Jesus' death what it was that he was going to accomplish at Jerusalem. And so Jesus talking with Moses. Moses, of course, represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets. You might recall that Jesus, we've already read that he said, that I didn't come to do away with the law. I came to fulfill the law. The prophets would all speak of Jesus, all fulfilled by Jesus. So Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets. Luke also in his account of this story tells us, that Moses and Elijah that appeared with him, they appeared in glory. Now, as I consider that, I can't help but think about when Moses was on the mountain, not Mount Hermon, but another mountain, Mount Sinai. And as we read in Exodus chapter 35, he had been up there on the mountain for 40 days receiving the law. And he comes down from the mountain, and, and he's glowing. His face is glowing. It's shining. And the people said, Moses, put on a veil. Your, your face is shining. But Paul would give us some insight when he was writing to the church of Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 that Moses put a veil on not just to hide the glory of his countenance that would then begin to pass away, begin to fade away. But then Paul writes that in that chapter, about a veil on the hearts of the children of Israel eventually. And we have seen that going through the Old Testament books of Isaiah and Jeremiah, now Ezekiel. Matter of fact, we just read recently to where the glory of God departed from Jerusalem, that the temple of God there, there was all the idols and the false you know, teachers and leaders and, and what was going on in Jerusalem. They had forsaken the Lord, refused to turn back to him. So the glory of the Lord lifted from the temple, went over to Kidron Valley and up over the Mount of Olives and departed. Really sad portion of scripture. When you consider 400 years before that, when Solomon dedicated that temple, that it says that the glory of the Lord uh, manifested itself. Uh, it was so powerful that the priest had to stop ministering. But as I considered this, and Moses up on the mountain and he comes down as he was in the presence of the Lord, his face is shining, his countenance is glowing. Listen, if you want to shine of the Lord, your countenance is something of the Lord. You see, you need to spend time with the Lord like Moses did. In the presence of God, 
Here these guys are in the presence of Jesus and they're glowing. And if you don't, your countenance will just begin to fade away. So the question that honestly in, the, in, the, in our hearts, an honest question and evaluation, what is it that you, what is it that I, it's the same question for me, what is it that we've been reflecting? Have we been reflecting something of the Lord? What is our countenance like? Do people see the joy of the Lord on our face? Do they, they see the love of the Lord in our lives? Are we reflecting something of the Lord? Or are we just walking around grumping and complaining? Because we have a lot to grump about, don't we? And we have a lot to complain about. But you see, the Lord desires for us that we be shining, have the countenance of the Lord, that people may see that. That is a witness all in itself. I remember early in my ministry, I used to, oh, you know, I'm going to really show people. I'm going to really stand on truth, and I'm really going to take this seriously and, and all of this, and I would be all intense. And I thought that was so spiritual. And I remember one day somebody just said that you're just mean. And it hit me right between the eyes. It's like, you know, you're kind of right. So I had to apologize to Sue, you know, my wife. And <laughs> she is brutally honest with me. Honestly. What have you been reflecting? And maybe you're here this morning and you can say, Lord, I can honestly say, Lord, forgive me. That I've been grumping and I've been mean and I've been so distracted and you haven't been on my heart. I really haven't been spending time with you. It hasn't been a priority. And the apostle would go on to write to that church in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And you see, just as Jesus here, transformation took place where his glory was being manifested. He desires for us to be transformed, to transform us from glory to greater glory by the Spirit of God working in our lives. And that takes place as we spend time with him, as we look to him, as we prioritize him. And as you do, you're going to find that you're going to be glowing of the Lord as well. And people desperately need to see that. They need to see the light and the love of Jesus Christ in the darkness that we are in. So don't be conformed, but transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul would write there to, uh, in Romans chapter 12, it's a word for us. And we know that we will be changed from glory to greater glory. And, and that will be a process, it's called sanctification, that takes place till we will be changed in glory when we go home to be with him. And John would write in his epistle in chapter 3 of 1 John, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we will see him as he is. I can't wait for that day that I see my Lord and see him. And we're going to get our new heavenly bodies, and we're going to be glorified in those new heavenly bodies. But in the Meantime, he desires to be conforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. Glory to greater glory. And it comes by continuing to spend time with him and learn of him.
So verse 4, Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now again, we know from Luke's account of the transfiguration, we know that Peter, James, and John were in a deep sleep. Uh, so this could be taking place in the early hours of the morning, right? Perhaps before dawn. And, and the disciples would wake up and they would see Jesus transfigured with Moses and Elijah just as they were finishing their discussion. And Peter, who always makes things interesting, he never shy uh, about speaking, does just that. It's, it's good for us to be here, he says. Let's build three tabernacles. One for you, Jesus. One for Moses. One for Elijah. And Mark tells us that Peter said that because he didn't know what to say. Perhaps we've done that in our lives. You don't know what to say. You're excited about something or conversations going on. So you just say something. But he didn't know what he was implying in what he said. Let's build three tabernacles, one for each of you. You, Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, putting Jesus on the same level as Moses and Elijah. Now remember that Jesus had just got done saying to his disciples, who do men say that I am? Well, you're John the Baptist, you're Elijah, you're Jeremiah, you're one of the prophets. No, you're the Christ, the Christus, the anointed one, the son of the living God. You're God's son. You're not on the same level as the prophets. And verse 5, as he was still speaking. In other words, Peter wasn't done. And I could just kind of picture Peter, the kind of guy that he was. He's probably saying, James and John, you guys need to go over there and get some rocks, you know, and let's put one here and let's put one there and let's put it over here. He's still speaking. And then all of a sudden, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they uh, fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. Peter, the only person in human history to hear the direct voice of the Father say, be quiet. Now, perhaps, I know I have, I'll speak for myself, I've heard the still small voice of the Lord say, be quiet. As this bright cloud overshadowed them on that mountain. And I believe that perhaps this is where we read about in Exodus, the pillar of cloud that was with the children of Israel in their wilderness wandering the Shekinah glory of God, and then the voice of the Father was heard. And this is the second time that the voice of the Father speaks, the first time at the baptism of Jesus, this time, and then the third time, John records in Jerusalem right before Jesus goes to the cross. And in here, as the Father speaks, that this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, hear him. It is a correction to what Peter has suggested and implied. Peter, don't put my son on the same level as Moses and Elijah. And of course, there are those today in the world that we have all around us, and perhaps you talk to them, that they will say, oh, Jesus, he's just another religious leader. He's on the same level as Confucius, or Buddha, or Muhammad. He's just another way to heaven. And we discussed this last week, that no, he, his name is above every other name. And every knee, in heaven, on the earth, under the earth, will bow the knee to him, to the glory of God the Father. And we know that his name is above every other name. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through 
you, Lord. We don't put Jesus on the same level as any other religious leader, and please don't do that. Because every other religious leader is in their tomb. They didn't conquer sin and death. They didn't die for the sins of humanity. Only Jesus did. God's son. And he is the savior of the world. And he is the way, not a way. He is the way to the father. So we have seen that very clearly going through the gospels and going through Matthew. And the father makes it very clear. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Peter, James, and John, and all of us here at Calvary. We need to hear him and listen to him. Because there are so many voices out there in the world. There are so many voices out there. And we need to listen to his voice. The words that he speaks are spirit and life. God's speaking through his word, and we need to learn what Elijah, as he was also on that mountain as well. Oh, again, not Mount Hermon. But just as Moses was on Mount Sinai, so was Elijah. And we know from 1 Kings, as he was running from Jezebel, he runs to the mountain of God, and he's there in the cave, and he's discouraged, and he's depressed, and he's feeling hopeless. And all of a sudden, as he's there in this cave of depression and hopelessness and discouragement, there is this great wind, and there is this earthquake, and there was this fire. But the Lord wasn't in the great wind. And he wasn't in the earthquake, and he wasn't in the fire, but in the still, small voice of the Lord. And he says, Elijah, what are you doing here? Elijah, I got things for you to do. I'm not done with you. I have a plan. And maybe you're here this morning, and perhaps you're in that cave. You're in that cave of discouragement and depression and hopelessness or anxiety, whatever it might be. And you've been really shaken up in your life. You're really going through the fiery trials. You're going through the winds of adversity that have come blowing into your life. And I've talked to many, especially over this last year. And I think that you have talked to some that are really going through that. And I desire for them to hear the voice of the Lord, that he's going to perfect that which concerns you. And he is your future and your hope. And he loves you and his promises are true for you. And that he desires to work in your life to provide for you and to bless you. He's your comfort. He's your strength. He's everything that you need to give you the wisdom you need to guide you, to say that my promises are true for you and that you don't have to be afraid. And that is the message to the disciples that fell on their faces. As they saw the cloud and they heard the voice of the Father and then Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and don't be afraid. These guys are just feeling overwhelmed right now. And as you are overwhelmed and whatever is going on in your life or whatever it is that you're facing in your life, that the Lord once again says, Don't be afraid. As it comes to you this morning. And I love what verse 8 has to say. I have it underlined in my Bible. When they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. They saw no one but Jesus. 
They lifted up their eyes. They didn't see Elijah. They didn't see Moses, only Jesus. We all know the story of the children of Israel in Exodus chapter 14. And as they are there, their backs are against the Red Sea, and they have two mountain ranges on both sides. They're boxed in, and all of a sudden, here come the Egyptians and their chariots and uh, the army, and they come barreling towards them, and, and the people saw it. They have nowhere to go. It seems so hopeless. And it says, when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And then Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. And the Lord will fight for you. And then you will hold your peace. And you see, there are times in our lives where we feel like we're boxed in, don't we? And as they were boxed in, they looked up and beheld the Egyptians, and they were very much afraid. And we can do the same thing. It seems like there's no escape, and and there's nowhere to go, and the chariots of Egypt are about ready to run us over. Egypt is a picture of the world, and we're overwhelmed, and we, we cry out, and we're looking at all that. And the Lord says to you and to me, you need to lift your eyes higher and see the salvation of the Lord, and to look to him. To look to him. Because we have salvation. Because he went to a mount. There in Jerusalem, Mount Calvary. And died for your sins and my sins. And he's going to see us through. But in life we can get our eyes so focused on the circumstances. And the hurts. And the problems. And the challenges that come our way. But the Lord says, I want you to lift your eyes just a little higher. And I want you to look to me. And listen. When you leave this place, I want you to be able to say that we all looked at Jesus. We looked to Jesus. We heard the voice of Jesus. And I don't have to be afraid. And you keep looking to him and his promises and for us to discover together that there is no one like Jesus, our Lord. And we look to him and we worship him and rejoice in him. And we can be thankful in the things of the Lord as we just continue to learn of him. Well, verse 9. Now, as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one, till the Son of Man is risen from the dead. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And Jesus answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has come already. And they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. And then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. So the disciples asked Jesus, you know, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? We just saw him up there on the mountain. But it has already been revealed to us that you are Messiah. And then Jesus would say in verse 12 that Elijah has already come. And the disciples would understand that he's speaking of John the Baptist. Now, you recall that in Luke's gospel, he opens up his gospel. He tells of the story of the announcement 
to Zacharias there in the temple in Jerusalem of the birth of John the Baptist. And Zacharias, you and Elizabeth, you're going to have a son, the angel said, probably Gabriel. You shall call him John, and he shall go before the Lord. He will prepare the, the way of the Lord. And he will do so in the spirit and power of Elijah. And our Lord indicates that in some way. John was a fulfillment of that prediction about Elijah, coming in the spirit and power of Elijah. But it's interesting that when John was at the river baptizing, that the religious leaders came out and they asked John the Baptist, are you Elijah? He said no. So John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ, in Jesus' first advent came in the spirit of Elijah, preparing the way for Jesus' first coming. But I do believe that Malachi, the last chapter of the Old Testament, chapter 4, will be fulfilled literally, and you can read it, before the second coming of Jesus Christ, that Elijah will come before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And I think that we see that in the two witnesses that will be evangelizing and working miracles there in the land of Israel. I believe in Revelation chapter 11 that it is speaking of Elijah and Moses, that they will be on the scene there in Jerusalem in the first half of the tribulation period, that they will cause it not to rain for three and a half years and call down fire from heaven. Who had that ministry? Elijah. That they'll turn water to blood. That's Moses. So the two witnesses, speaking of Elijah and Moses, the same two on Mount of Transfiguration, it's a study for another time. But I want to end with this. That they're there at that time, at a time of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, which begins in the tribulation period. Now, I believe that we're going to be raptured before the tribulation period. The Lord's going to come and take the church home. But we are living in dreadful days. And he desires for us to be a witness and have the countenance of the Lord being shown to others. So my prayer is that we would do that. It reminds me as Paul, as he wrote to the Corinthian believers, he said, when I first came to you, I came in fear and much trembling. And perhaps as you come into this place, this last year has brought fear, you're trembling. Paul had a difficult missionary journey. He was beaten with rods in Philippi. He was, you know... Uh, Persecuted in Thessalonica and run out of town. He was mocked at Athens. He comes into Corinth and he says, when I first came to you guys, I came in much fear and trembling. I was one beat up missionary. And you might feel kind of beat up in the days in which we're living in. And he says, I didn't come in a demonstration and power of man's wisdom. I came in a demonstration and power of the Holy Spirit, determined not to know anything but Jesus Christ and him crucified. One thing that all of us can do, being strengthened by the Lord, being led by the Lord, you give Jesus Christ and him crucified in the day in which we were living in. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for these important words that are given to us. And, Lord, I pray for us, all of us, that we would have a desire that we would shine with the countenance of the Lord, the love of the Lord, and, Lord, that we would be a voice of truth. The world desperately needs it, and so do the people around us. And, Lord, that you would prepare us. Because there's a lot of voices out there. There's endless voices. But we want to hear your voice, and then we want to be able to tell others of Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I pray that as we spend time with you, and 
learn of you. That as we look to you, that, Lord, that we wouldn't be in that cave of anxiety or uncertainty or hopelessness. But, Lord, we would know that you promised that you, we can have confidence of this very thing, that he who's begun a good work will complete it. And so, Father, may we just keep looking to you, being strengthened by you. And I want to pray if there's anyone here that perhaps you're here, you're listening online or later on the radio, that you've never given your life to Jesus. He is your salvation. He is the way, not a way. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God who came and died for you personally, for your sins, because the wages of sin is death. You can't be good enough. You can't earn it. You can't merit it. That's what grace means. You're saved by grace through faith, the unmerited favor of God, as you come believing that Jesus died for your sins and rose again. And the invitation is always to come. Today is the day of salvation. If you've never done that, get right with the Lord. Because he's provided forgiveness of sin and eternal life and right relationship to the Father. Reconciliation to the Father. And you can pray where you are sincerely that, Jesus, I come to you and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me. You rose again in your life. Sit upon the throne of my life as my personal Lord and Savior. And I want to know you and walk with you. I don't want to walk after the world. I belong to you, and I thank you for this new beginning. And, Lord, I want to learn of you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Father, help us go out of this place shining. And Lord, we don't want a veil to be put over our hearts because we haven't been spending time with you or prioritizing you. We've been focusing on self, just overwhelmed with all the things that are going on in our lives. It's easy to do the cares of life, but Lord, may we look to you each and every day. Bless everyone here as we go our way. In Jesus' name.